Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Thank you. Well, thanks, everyone. I'm sure everybody's a little curious why the new guy brought his lunch up on stage. Nothing to worry about. Around noon, I usually get hungry. I just didn't, you know, if I want to roll, I just wanted to keep on going. Yeah. If you guys are hungry, too, Steph always packs extra. She put a couple of fish and loaves of bread in here. It's good for sharing. Looks like she put something in here for the kids' church workers. Xanax. Just, just to help watch your little angels you just dropped off. So I'm kicking off the series, Distracted, you know, and this is really all about kind of in our lives, how busy we become and all the different things in our lives that distract us away from our relationship with God and the joy that that can bring when we do have a relationship with God. So there's, it's a three-part series. I'm going to kick it off, and I know a couple of ladies are going to follow me in the next couple of weeks, but hopefully you, get, you guys engage with this and we have a lot of fun with it. Let me open in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this church and what an awesome group of people it is. And we just ask that you open our hearts and open our minds to help understand your word today. Let us consider our lives in service to your mission of loving you and loving others. May you open our eyes to the things that we can do different in our lives to fulfill your mission. Amen. Hey, as I get around, I think as a lot of you do, we, we kind of interact before or after church. One of the common things we say is, yeah, how'd, how'd your week go? What's the most common answer you guys think? We probably all say it in unison. Busy. Busy week. It's such a common thing these days to have such a crazy busy week. And the interesting thing is it is one of the most powerful tools the devil uses to distract us away from our relationship with God. And, you know, I have to admit up front, you know, I am a huge culprit of this. Over the years, it's been a challenge. And I'll tell you some of those stories later when I can collect myself. But, but it, it's, been, it's been a constant challenge throughout my life to just kind of start to unwind things. And as Heather mentioned early, you know, we've started to kind of unwind our life over the last two years, and it's just made a huge difference. The pace of life today is really, it's just crazy. And it's in some cases out of control. If you rewind back about 100 years, it wasn't always that way. In fact, society about 100 years ago, typically how much leisure you had, you were at the highest social status. So kind of the amount of leisure determined your social status. The people who were the wealthiest and who, who were the highest social status, they had tons of leisure time. They were at the country clubs, they were playing tennis, playing golf. Those who were busy, tended to be the lowest social class. They were just trying to pay the bills. They were just trying to get by. And that's transitioned over the last 100 years. In fact, you know, kind of starting in the early 1900s, you had the second industrial revolution, you had some wars. All of a sudden, there's this focus on productivity and efficiency. You know, and even by the 1960s, it's interesting as you look back, our government became worried about how productive we were becoming. In 1967, there was a Senate subcommittee. A bunch of social scientists went to a Senate subcommittee. They reported out that in about 20 years, 
the average American would only have to work 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year. Yeah. How's that working out for us? I mean, does anybody else think maybe they forgot something in the study, forgot to carry a one or something? What they, what they didn't realize, what they didn't have, other social scientists later came in and said, well, it's really, it's, it's a term they call a mobility nation. That's a scientific term. What it really is, is a, it's a desire for more. And that's, that's what kind of got missed in this study. One of the most interesting misconceptions about this is that our society drives such, such a desire for more and the misconception that that can make you happier. And that is, that is a huge, huge issue. Really by the 1980s, this was becoming more and more prevalent, more and more popular. In fact, people were becoming so productive, now they started to write books about it. You guys are probably familiar with Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Most Highly Effective People. Brian Tracy, 1989, wrote a book called Goals. They became, you know, sold out of the bookshelves. More and more people started writing books on this, on this topic. In fact, let's go to the first slide here. I was looking up slides here. Here we go. Best books on productivity. 70 books just to start accomplishing more each day. I thought to myself, man, I'm not going to have any time left after reading all those books. And then I thought, well, if any of these books are very productive at making me more productive, why do I need the other 69? <laughs> the theme of getting more done was in was in full swing. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you, you get up, you, you race back for breakfast. This is probably my current schedule. I'm trying to unweave. You, you know, you, you go get breakfast, you race into work, you, you, you're preparing for presentations, you're wading through a bunch of email, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're at the middle of the day and, and you're, you're going, what in the world? I, you know, look, and you're looking at the gauntlet of things you still have to accomplish in the afternoon. And then all the kids' activities at night. And then you go, how am I possibly going to get through all this without a little help? Well, there was a little help introduced. A little Red Bull. <laughs> Energy drinks all of a sudden got introduced. This goes back about 20 years, just about 1997, energy drinks. So Red Bull started out as just a, uh, you know, kind of an extreme sport thing. And then a lot of people started self-qualifying their, their lives as extreme <laughs> sports. You know, and the next thing you know, then you're going, okay, hey, this is, this is great. You know, this helps to get through the day. Well, the Americans are now buying $13 billion a year on energy drinks. And that's up 30%. And that's projected by the end of next year to be $18 billion in energy drinks. And that doesn't even count all the coffee and the Starbucks. That's just simply energy drinks. And when this, when you realize you start pounding a bunch of these down, well, now you're not as productive. Now you have to use the restroom about every hour. So, <laughs> so they just started, you can just take a shot now. Now you can just take a shot. And when you start to become numb to that, now they have extra strength. And then once that was done, they started just doing powder. You could just, just dry shoot it. It's just crazy. <laughs> And, and all, all in the effort just to get more done in the day. So now, now you're pumped up after lunch, you come home, you've got this other gauntlet of meetings and presentations and all this stuff that's going on. And then you run home, you maybe got to stop by the grocery store, and then you got to fix dinner, then you got to get the kids, then you have a logistics nightmare in the evening, especially if you have more than you know, kids that outnumber you. So you, you, literally, there's got to be an app for this. You're running all over the place. 
Drop, okay, you drop Jackson off here. You drop, you pick up me up here, but I can't do that. You do this. Okay, and then hopefully you get them all home and you do a head count. And, oh, we were missing one one time. <laughs> I felt so bad. We left. I left Emmy out at the football field. She was a little cheerleader. Yeah, I know. Don't look at me with that shame and guilt that, that all of those cheerleading coaches did because I raced back and I swam through this, all this shame and guilt that they pooled over as they... We were Midwesterners, moved to Arizona. They explained all about the wild animals that could have taken her off and how I need to do a better job being on time. You know, so all of a sudden you, you, you race back, you know, picked up and you race back home. And then all this, you know, you, you've got to get ready for tomorrow. You get the kids to bed. You get, you get your lunch packed. And all of a sudden you got six hours to go. You're going to go to sleep. Go. I'm not going to sleep. What's wrong? All day I was tired. Pounding energy drinks every two hours just to stay awake. Now I can't fall asleep. What is going on? All right, let's try and count sheep. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, it's not, not working. It's not working. Oh, wait, count them backwards. Ten, nine, seven, six, five, three, two, one. No, didn't work. Off to the doctor. Doc, I'm, I'm cannot seem to sleep anymore. I don't know what is going on. I have no idea. Nothing's changed in my life. So I'm sure at that point, you know, you'll have a nice conversation with your doctor about stress levels, caffeine. You'll deny it all like I did. You'll offer your pen. If you need, do you need more a pen just to sign that prescription? Because I'm kind of late for a meeting i got to get to. And that's how your life goes on. Americans now take $40 billion in sleep aids. $40 billion in sleep aids. Just to probably counteract some of this. I'm sure there's other issues. The interesting thing about sleep aids is they don't just help with your sleep. Let's look at the first slide here. There's some other things they help with. They help you with your rapid heartbeat. They can help speed up your heartbeat. Start reading through side effects, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Oh, that, you know, it's too much information. Let's take that off of there. Once you usually get to that, you're done reading. You know, you're like, okay, I'll just try it once. If I have any of that, I'll stop. I'll try something different. And that's kind of what I did for years. That was Ambien. We'll come back to that in a second. But that's what they gave me for sleep issues, for travel issues as I travel internationally. The, the, the weird thing was, all of a sudden, I'm starting to feel like this overwhelmed feeling of life, you know, as I take this stuff on, on and off, and never really connected the dots. So eventually, we go back, pull up the next one here. Look at the other ones that are in here. Depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, aggression. It's crazy stuff that these things have. It took me years to figure out the connectivity here of what, what was going on. So I switched to Benadryl at that point. I'm like, well, you're a little groggy in the morning, but, you know, I'm not going to have all that stuff. And, you know, I probably did that for a few years, too, on the international travel. <laughs> and then what I found out about Benadryl, I'm looking through the side effects. It just had kind of these anger, irritability issues, some, sometimes really angry or irritable issues, and couldn't, didn't really connect it to Benadryl. So I'm reading through the side effects. doesn't say anything about adult side effects. And then one, one day, I read down to the kids' side effects, and guess what I found out? Benadryl gives little Timmy anger management issues. <laughs> so I went up. So, you know, the ones that Steph was so I had side effects for this. But it made me wonder how many lives have been impacted by this cycle, this cycle of crazy, busy lives, you know, of just trying to accomplish more thinking that that is going to make us happier. You know, it's what all the commercials say, right? The guy 
driving the nice car. He looks pretty happy. I need a new car, you know, bigger house. They look happy. They seem happy. I mean, the mirage they post on Facebook makes them look happy. I don't, that's, I think I need that too. How about I just work a little harder, a little harder to get more, to get more. And that's how the devil just distracted you away from the relationship with God. And a lot of times it's like a false summit, you know, and the interesting thing is God saw this coming from the beginning. You go back to Genesis, Genesis 2, let's take a look at that. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It was the only day he made holy, by the way. He created all the other stuff on the six days, made the seventh day holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Even God rested from God's work. Maybe not because he needed to, but it was a lesson for us that we need to. A couple thousand years later, Moses came. Fourth commandment, Exodus 28. Remember the Sabbath day. I think what he's really saying is, hey, a couple thousand years later, don't forget about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. Seventh day is a Sabbath day of the Lord. So he's reminding us again and again, 1,400 years, Jesus comes. He continues. Some of his teaching was also along these lines. In fact, this, this is, Jesus was the best at teaching this. I mean, let's take a look at Luke 10 here. A lot of you guys know the story about Martha and Mary. Look, look at the verse here, Luke 10, 40. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair that, that, uh, that my sister's here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. <laughs> but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. The only, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it, and it will not be taken away. Luke, just uh, a couple of chapters later, this one is a fascinating parable. So a lot of things Jesus teaches about are parables. This is a parable of the great banquet. I originally used to read this parable thinking this is just about, hey, if your neighbor, neighbor invites you over for dinner, you need to try and make a point to go. And then, then I realized, no, it's, it's God inviting you to heaven. So it said, man said to Jesus, and in fact, let me set this up a little bit. This is uh, Jesus just prior to this is talking about, he's kind of blasting the Pharisees to see what he's great at doing about kind of their seat at the table and who, who to invite and, you know, don't, don't invite the rich, you know, invite the poor into your home. And, and a man pipes up, he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus takes this as a lesson or, or as an opportunity to teach a lesson here. He said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. So think of this get, this, get this in your head, that this is God inviting a great banquet in heaven. And at, the same, and, and at the time for their banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So you're thinking, great, heaven's ready, I, let's ready to go. Let's take a look at what their response was, what they actually said. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go see it. So he got distracted by a material possession. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go examine them. Again, distracted by a material possession. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Okay, he had some other things on his mind. <laughs> but he was distracted and couldn't make it. Blaming the wife, blaming the woman, right? Didn't work for Adam either. So then the servant came and reported 
these things to his master. The master of the house became angry. So this is God. You've made God angry now. And said, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Why is that? It's because they don't have all the distractions that many of us do. So for the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. There is still room. Then the master said to the servant, go out to the roads and the hedges, compel the people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, this is a scary part, for I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, if you pair this with just a couple chapters later, Luke 17, where, where Jesus says, look, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. The kingdom of God is already among you. You can start to see how these distractions in our life might actually, we might actually miss it. So he's effectively validating the Old Testament. I mean, God's told us for thousands of years we need to slow it down, take a break, spend time with him, developing that relationship. If you are distracted by being busy with other things, other priorities, you will miss out on God and the joy that he has for you. So how do you break this cycle? That's really about today is how do you break this cycle? Two steps, two simple steps. First step set your priorities according to Jesus. So let's take it. So Jesus tells a lot of parables where, he, you know, you ch- kind of have to decipher and try and figure out what's going on. But his priorities, he made crystal clear. Let's take a look at this. This is documented in several places. I picked Mark, uh, Mark 1230 here. So this is what a Pharisee was challenging Jesus on his priorities. And Jesus said, and basically, Jesus said, you know what? Love God, love people. But he said it better. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So again, he's telling us, he's setting the priorities for us. Now the big question that I've got for you guys is can love be rushed? How about if I come up to Chris, you know, or if Chris comes up to me maybe before or after church and and he's distraught, and he says, you know, hey, I, uh, you have a few minutes. I really need to talk through something. I say, well, yeah, I mean, like a few, three minutes, right, Chris? Because I got four minutes before I need to roll my next appointment here. So, yeah, why don't you know, I'll tell you what, I'll set a timer, three and a half minutes, and why don't you go ahead and start? I'll just give you a friendly time check, about 90 seconds. You can guys, you know, wrap it up. I'll give you some feedback then. Really feeling the love, isn't he? Really feeling the love. Do we ever set a timer on God? I think we do. You know, does your, does your prayer time or does your time with God look something like this to where, okay, okay, God, I got, got 17 minutes here. We got to get Johnny off to the soccer game. Let's do a random reading here. Let's do this. Ah, oh, tithing again. Come on. If you're not gonna, I'm going to, I'm going to pick my own here. If you're not going to take this seriously, God. All right, parable of a mustard seed. Let's read this. Sounds interesting. And he said, with what, what can we compare the kingdom of heaven, or what parable shall we use for it? Hmm. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which was sown on the ground as the smallest of all seeds on it. Oh, I forgot chia seeds on the grocery list. I need to put those. I mean, I can't believe Steph's making me put those on my oatmeal these days. I used to grow pets out of these things. And now they're a superfood. I don't even know what a superfood is. 
I, I, you know, these things are probably just building up in the sewer system, growing a giant chia pets for an invasion someday. Lord, I know, where are we going with this, Lord? I don't, I don't get this. Is chia pet my word for the year? Is where, what? I'm not, Johnny, we are down to six minutes. You better get your uniform on. All right, let me try a different verse. I'm not getting much out of Mark here. Let me, let me flip back here. Here, here we go. Here's something different. This is Matthew 10, 34. Not peace, but a sword. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword? I used to have a sword. I didn't know Jesus had a sword. That's, I haven't seen that sword since we've moved. You know, Steph never liked that sword. Honey, have you seen my sword? Jesus had one. I might need to help him. We might have a chia pet invasion coming. Oh, Lord, time's up. Lord, I didn't get much out of that today. You know, did I get a word? I, is there something coming? I'm not, I'm not hearing it. We need to make time with God, with others, for love. To love, to be loved, we need to make time. I mean, Jesus set great examples for us. There's a great story about the Samaritan woman. I won't give you all the details, but he met her at a well, basically. Just phenomenal story. He knew her. He knows everybody, but she didn't know. Uh, she figured out he was the Lord, invited him, invited him to come speak to the Samaritans, which was kind of unusual with the history. And, he, you know, nowadays he might have said, oh, you know what, he, he just, he just started it with, with something like, oh, you know, dear woman, or something like that. But he said, oh, you know what, I... 20 minutes, uh, Peter and the boys are coming back. I'm booked in six synagogues over the next two days. Matthew insists I go to a soccer game. You know, it's just not going to work. How about you have your people contact my people? We'll get back together. But that's not what he said. He said, sure. He went and spent two days with them. He spent time loving them. Next one, Matthew uh, 14 is a good, good example. too. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain. And himself, he, he prayed by himself. So he spent time alone. Other examples, he, he often went in a boat just to get away from the crowds because the, crow, the crowds, as much as he taught them and as much as he served them, uh, you just can't do that all the time. You have to get away and take a break and take a rest. And Jesus gave great examples of where he did that. And he observed a Sabbath. You know, as busy as he was, he observed a Sabbath. And that's really my step called phenomenal at that. And something we've started here the past many weeks, great difference. Just at that peace in your life. So, you know, think of it this way. If, if even Jesus observed a Sabbath, I mean, he's, he's God here on earth with tremendous power. He knows he only has three years here. I mean, if a doctor told you you only had three years left, I can almost sure you'd be making a list of all the stuff you wanted to get done in the next three years before you pass away. Right? And that's not what Jesus did. He still made time for a Sabbath and, and to love God and to love others. Sabbath, I mean, it's about resting, spending quality time with, with God, family, friends. Jesus made it a priority. It's not all about just sitting on the couch and vegging and reading for 24 hours or whatever. It, it's about enjoying life and the things that, that God created for us. So the message is simple today. Busyness is a tool from the devil, and it can distract you away from that relationship with God. I mentioned John Mark Comer's book. It's titled uh, Restless Elimination of Hurry. It's, it's a great book. Um, he's also a pastor, which, you know, pastors and, and church leaders, they, it's such a high burnout rate. And I think it's because so many 
think that, that God's work, he can't take a break. But the reality is even God took a break from God's work, and even Jesus took a break from God's work. So even our, even our pastors and leaders need that break. But that book was, was great. John, he does like Friday from, from 5 p.m. to Saturday at 5 p.m. You know, they turn off all the distractions, turn off the TV, no social media, um, and, and just have fun with family. They spend time in the Word. They spend time praying, um, spend time with, with games, feasting, all that kind of stuff, and just make it a relaxing, peaceful time. And that's what we've tried to do, too. Now, we unfortunately play Monopoly. We still have a game half played. We played it last night, and you just cannot finish that thing in less than six hours. So I'll have to finish it today sometime. The so when Jesus was here, he even clarified, what, what is the Sabbath? You know, so for so long, the Sabbath had been, let's say, almost demonized, just had this set of rules to it that, you know, how do you ruin rest? Well, you put a ton of rules you just can't follow to it. Well, Jesus kind of blew that out of the water. So in, in Mark 2.27, he said, Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. I mean, that's beautiful. It's, it's for you guys. It's a gift from God, and we need to accept that. A little bit later, you know, Jesus starts to clarify, as this is great as the, as the Pharisees said, um, they were challenging him because of a, um, he was going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. They said, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, that's, that's against the rules, you can't do that. And then Jesus said, oh, wait a minute here. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or, or to do harm, to save life or to kill? They didn't really have a good answer to that. So it doesn't mean you can't do anything or you can't serve or you just have to be a, a vegetable. I mean, you have to make this work for you. If you have kids you know, uh, four kids ages five to ten, you know, you, you can't say, oh, kids, we're, we're so sorry. We were in the grocery line. It was a little long, and mommy and daddy didn't get checked out by the Sabbath cutoff deadline. So <laughs> guess what? It's a fasting weekend again. <laughs> oh, don't cry, kids. Johnny, put down the sword. You're scaring mommy. Great, you know, a good way to look at this is a litmus test on, on your Sabbath, and I encourage you to start to integrate it in. It's a little bit challenging, as we found out, to just kind of go cold turkey with it. So I encourage you to balance trying to talk about with your family, especially if you have younger kids, integrate this in now and talk about what can you do to start to peel away distractions during, during pick a 24-hour period, peel away distractions. What can you do to introduce loving God and loving people, and make it work for you. And, and a great litmus test on it is, how is your week going? How are you handling your week? The Sabbath will set the stage for the balance of your week. If your week is crazy, and, and there's always going to be craziness and chaos, but if you're able to handle that well and have some level of peace, then you're good. If it's still a little bit chaotic, look at your Sabbath. Start to improve on that start to improve the, the peace that you feel. Because in the end, love cannot be rushed.